so would you guys pray with me? And we're going to dive into uh, our psalm series. God, I thank you so much that you're a God who knows us, knows us by name, knows our hearts, and that you love us. And that you sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be in relationship with him. God, I pray as we talk about repentance, as we talk about what it means to, to seek after you, God, that you would fill us with your spirit. That you would, uh, in areas where we need to be convicted, God, that you would convict us not for shame, but for life transformation. And God, where we need to be reminded of your goodness, God, may you remind us of your goodness. And so God, may these be your words and not my words. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, so growing up, I wasn't necessarily the neatest kid. Anybody relate to that? Um, my mom could attest to that, uh, that I often was, was a fairly messy kid. And as I got older, uh, I believed that I got a little bit wiser. I had moved into a larger bedroom in our house. Uh, and actually, as, as we uh, had more kids, added kids to our family, we ended up building a room. And in this room, there was a very large closet, Okay. A very large closet that had, it kind of went way deep in, and so you couldn't really see, even if you opened up the door to see into the closet, you couldn't really necessarily see. And so uh, oftentimes when I would want to go do something with my friends, I would say to my parents, hey, mom, dad, can I go hang out with Kyle? Can I go hang out with Zach? Can I go hang out with Chris? And one of the questions that often my parents would ask me is, is your room clean? And so then, of course, like, like a teenager, I would roll my eyes and I would stomp downstairs and I would go and clean the room. But then I started to get a little bit smarter. And so what I would do is I would see all these clothes on my floor and I would start to roll them up into a ball and then I would shove them into the closet. Right? Teens are going, that's a, that's a great idea. Right? Now here's the problem with that. As I would do that, my clothes, they started to accumulate. And even though I would go upstairs and my mom would say, is your room clean? And I'd proudly say, yes, ma'am, it is. And she would look and see that the floor was clean. The clothes started to accumulate in the closet. And then there started to come a smell. Now, I'm not talking about the smell that is like the normal teenager smell. You know what I'm talking about, parents of teens? Uh, I'm talking about a smell that is uh, beyond a little bit the normal stinky. The smell that is a little bit more like something dead, decaying, or decomposing, or an odd combination of the three. And so uh, I started to go, okay, this is a little odd. And uh, I, I, you know, noticed it a little bit. And then my friends started to notice it. And then, of course, my mom noticed it because moms know everything. Uh, and, uh, but I never actually wanted to go in and explore and figure out what that smell was. But eventually it got to the point where I had to do something. It was unavoidable. And so I needed to go in. I needed to clean out my closet. And amongst all these different balls of clothes, um, and then I was looking and I was like, I didn't know I had that sweatshirt anymore. And all these kind of things. I found a plate of food. Now, being totally honest with you, not entirely sure what the food was. I can't quite remember. And if I'm completely honest with you as well, it didn't really matter because it just was so decayed. It was so nasty. I think it might have been pizza, but there was like some meat on it and things like that. And so it, it was pretty gross. But now you might be sitting here, okay, Tyler, <laughs> what does your middle school closet have anything to do with repentance or the Psalms? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to be looking at Psalms 51 here this morning, and I, what I call the idea of the how-to guide to repentance. And I share my story of the closet because I have struggled in my walk with Jesus, because oftentimes I've believed this idea, and I don't know where this idea came from, but I believe this idea that when I become a Christian, or when I say yes to Jesus, everything will just be fine. Like, I won't sin anymore, I won't struggle anymore, all these things are going to be good and perfect in my life, but here's the problem. 
That's not the reality, right? Anybody relate to that? That's not the reality. I think many times we treat our sin, when we come to Jesus, we treat our sin like I treated my clothes. Ball it up, shove it in the closet, and hope and pray that nobody notices. How often do we push it down or hide or not address sin in our life and hope, I hope no one notices the smell. Anybody relate to that? That's how I lived a lot of my teenage life is this idea of I'm just going to shove it away. I'm going to pretend like it's not going to happen. But that's not what we're called to do. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to turn away from them, to turn away from our sins. First John, in 1 John 1, it says this. It tells us to walk in the light. Look at this on the screen. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We're called to turn away from our sin and turn to God, to walk in the light. And so I actually think that repentance is a gift from God. Although growing up, as I, as I grew up, whenever the pastor would start to talk about repentance, I would get a little uncomfortable, right? I was thinking to myself, okay, what's, what's going to happen? Am I going to be found out? And then the preacher starts talking, and you're like, is he talking to me? You ever had those moments in church? Maybe you're having it right now? Like, is, is he is talking? He's probably talking to you. You look at the person next to you. Which makes us all the more uncomfortable. But I believe that repentance actually brings freedom. Repentance brings freedom. And it's not freedom to do whatever we want, but freedom from sin. When we choose repentance, when we live a life of repentance, it actually brings us to freedom. And freedom brings us to life. And the more and more I reflect on the gospel... As I read the gospel and as I read the message of the gospel and the narrative of the Bible, more and more I'm convinced that without repentance of our sins, we cannot actually follow Jesus. Let me say that again. Without the repentance of our sins, we cannot actually follow Jesus. Repentance means to turn away, to go the other way. And if we don't use this amazing gift of repentance, oftentimes I wonder, are we going the wrong way? Repentance is an amazing gift that we have to turn away from the sin and go to God. And not only is repentance an amazing gift for salvation or for justification, but it's actually a beautiful gift for sanctification or the idea of becoming more like God. It's a gift that we have even when we screw up in our life as Christians, okay? Because I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I don't live a perfect life. And so how do I deal with that? I believe that repentance is this amazing gift that God gives us so that we don't have to shove our sins into the closet, we don't have to hide our sins, but we can come before God, and we can repent of our sins, and we can return into a relationship with him. I need to repent daily. Okay? Just fully admitting it. I need to repent daily. And the more I grow in my relationship with God, the more I realize I need to repent and turn away from my sin every single day and turn to Jesus. As I've grown in my relationship, the re I realize how much more I need it. My wife told me, uh, there was a quote that she got from her Bible study fellowship. Uh, it says, the more holy I become, the more holy I become, the less holy I feel. The more holy we become, meaning the more we learn about Jesus, the more we, we want to seek to become like Jesus, we actually realize how much more we need repentance to turn to him. That every day we need to go to Jesus. This is what I mean when I talk about we need to walk with Jesus. That walk is understanding that we need to be in fellowship with him. It doesn't mean that we get everything right. It means we know exactly where to go when we screw up. 
You see the difference? It's not saying, I know, I'm never going to sin, I'm never going to screw up or anything like that. It's saying, even when I screw up, I know exactly where to go. It means I know exactly where to go. 1 John 1, 8, it goes on, it says, If we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Shoving it into the closet, pretending like it's not there. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Repentance is an amazing gift for salvation and for our walk with him for sanctification. And I thank God for the gift of repentance. Sometimes I think we can look at the word repentance and and get uncomfortable but it's a gift from God. It creates this intimacy and it brings us back. Whether we've never been in a relationship with God, it can bring us into a connection with him. Or if we've been walking with God and we stray or we sin or we screw up in whatever way, it brings us back into fellowship with him. Repentance is not the the uncomfortable word that we use in church. It's a beautiful gift from God to restore us into relationship with him. So what does repentance look like? What is the how-to guide to repentance? I want to look at Psalm 51. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 51. But before we dive in, I want to give you a little context. I want to talk about uh, what, what's going on around this. This is one of the Psalms where we actually understand or we know what the context is and why it was written because it tells us right here in the header. Check this out. It says this, For the choir director, a Psalm of David, regarding the time... The prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Okay, so let me set the table. The story of David and Bathsheba is pretty well known in the Bible, but here's kind of the cliff notes, right? So David, he's hanging out on his roof when he actually, the Bible says he should be off to war, so he's a little bit distracted. But he's hanging out on his roof, and he looks down, and he sees a beautiful woman taking a bath on her rooftop, and her name is Bathsheba. And so he inquires, he sends some people to inquire about her and finds out that she's actually married to a man named Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah was a soldier in David's army. But here's the thing, that didn't stop him. And so he brought Bathsheba up to his uh, palace or whatever and forced her to sleep with him. And she became pregnant. And so in order to cover up his sin to cover up what he did. He invited Uriah back and tried to convince Uriah to sleep with his wife. But Uriah, being an honorable man, said, while my soldiers are out in the field, I cannot go home. I will not go home. And so it says he slept at the gate. And so in another effort to cover up his sin, because Uriah wouldn't go sleep with his wife, uh, David sent Uriah to the front lines and inevitably had Uriah killed. And then he, to cover up his sins more, he immediately married Bathsheba. Now, I don't know where David was at mentally here necessarily. Maybe he was just shoving all of his guilt into the closet, or maybe he thought he got away with it. Then Nathan the prophet comes. This comes from 2 Samuel 12, and he tells David a story, and this is the story. 2 Samuel 12, verse 1 through 7. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle, and the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his own cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or his own herd, he took the poor man's lamb, killed it, and prepared it for his guest. It says David was furious. 
As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who should do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man that he stole, and having no pity, and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are this man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed the king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. You are that man. And it goes on and says David was broken, that David repented. And this psalm is written in correspondence or in, in, in response to this confrontation. And I believe as we look at this, we see this how-to guide to repentance and how God calls us to a place of repentance and what that looks in a repentant heart. And so let's look at Psalm 51. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you, and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. So what we see is David identifying the sin. Not trying to justify it, not trying to excuse it, but identifying it, and he owns it. He says, I have sinned. I have sinned. And it come, when it comes to the sin in our lives, we need to look at it and say, man, I have sinned. We need to identify to be able to go, yes, okay, this is what I've done, and own that sin in our life. Maybe in our life today, maybe uh, you're struggling with a habitual sin. Maybe you can't even name it, but maybe you can. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's a struggle with gossip. Maybe it's a struggling with lying. Maybe it's an affair. Maybe it's drinking too much. Maybe it's a sexual sin. What we see here, this example that we see that God gives us through David's repentance is David identifies the sin. He knows what the sin is. He goes before God and he takes ownership of it. And we can do that too. We're called to do that. Not to wallow in our sin. I don't believe that God calls us to wallow in our sin or anything like that. But to identify it and say, God, I need to go to you. I need to come before you. Not to sit in here going, I'm a terrible person. I don't deserve anything. But we can go to God. This is exactly what David does in the Psalms. He starts it out right there in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. He goes to God and he says, I know that I have sinned and I need to come to you, God, because you are the only one that can bring true forgiveness. And he comes before God and he says, God, I, I need you. Church, we can be humble and we can be broken over our sin so that we can lay it at the feet of Jesus and so that he can take it and he can take the punishment on the cross. That's why Jesus went to the cross, so that when we come before God and say, God, have mercy on me, and we, we lay it before the feet of Jesus at the cross, that's what, exactly what Jesus does. This blows my mind about the cross of Jesus. And what Jesus did on the cross is not only was his payment sufficient for the sins committed in the Old Testament, but for the sins committed today, the sins that I committed, it was sufficient to cover my sins. And so we need to bring our sins. We need to bring these things to light. Again, not so we wallow in them. Not so we just like have this pity party or woe is me because I'm this terrible person. But because we go to God because that's where we find forgiveness. That's where we can move forward in our sin. No matter what the sin is, we can move forward. And then it goes on in verse 7. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. 
Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. There's a celebration in that. There's, the, there's this relief that David talks about in being broken. You have broken me. Now, let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stains of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore in me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. Here's what we see. David identifies the sin. And then he turns from the sin and he turns back to God. David doesn't ask God to simply remove him, remove the consequences of his sin. Because anybody else guilty of that? I know I am. Oftentimes I spend time praying, God, just like, will you deal with this situation? God, will you remove these consequences? That's not repentance. Repentance, he's saying, remove these sins from me. Take them away from me because I don't want these anymore. God, would you remove them from me? You have broken me. He identifies the sin and then he begs God, God, remove it from me. Not just the consequences. Not just the consequences. I think sometimes God allows the consequences of our sin, not the, the spiritual, right? Because Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So I'm not talking about the spiritual consequences of sin because that is sufficiently taken care of on the cross of Christ. And, but what I'm talking about is sometimes there are relational and there are physical consequences that come from the sins and the decisions that we made. It's like scars, right? I have a scar right here on my wrist, and it serves as a reminder of something dumb I did. When I was uh, younger, I was about 18 years old, we were tearing apart something down on the other side of the church, and I thought that it'd be a really good idea to pick up this huge piece of wood that had all these nails sticking out, and I was going to be, you know, like that manly kid that like lifted it up, and I was going to throw it into the dumpster. And as I went to throw it into the dumpster, it caught on my wristband, and it dug, and it like, like cut down to the bone in my wrist. Now, I could look at that, and that's a reminder of me to never do that again. I think sometimes God allows these, these, these consequences in our life, as painful as they might be, as hard as they might be, as a reminder, like, hey, my way is better. Don't do that anymore. Again, not the spiritual consequences, because those were taken care of on the cross. But sometimes God allows those things to be a reminder of us, to a reminder to us. And actually, that, that can be a gift in a way, as painful as that might be. And then it says, David submits himself to God. In verse 12, look at that in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Not only does David turn from his sin, but he turns back to God. And he says, God, take away my sin. Remove this from me. And then teach me to obey you again. It's turning away from the sin and turning back to God. That is repentance. There's conviction. Sometimes the conviction comes from the Holy Spirit just between us and God. And sometimes God brings people in our life to lead us into repentance through conviction. In this case, Nathan came to David and David was convicted. And then he owned it. And then he begged God and to allow him to be rid of it so that he could obey God. And repentance... You see what he's asking for, what it brings back when he's repentant? And he's saying, God, take this, this sin away from me so that I can have joy, 
so that I can be loyal to you again, that I can have the Holy Spirit's leading in my life so that I can walk in obedience and that I can have life change. Repentance is this amazing gift from God because through repentance we can have life change. God changes lives as we repent and we come before him. This is why repentance is a gift. It's a gift from God to lead us back in the way that he's calling us to, to lead us back into mission. Psalms 13, 50, or Psalms 51, verse 13. Then I will teach the ways to the rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. I love this. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. The third part in the how-to guide to repentance, once we've identified the sin, once we've owned the sin, and we've turned away from it and turned back to God, is we need to return to mission. We can return to mission. We can, or if you've never been on mission for Jesus, we can get on mission. When repentance has happened, when we've turned from our sin and back to the presence of Christ, we are called back into the mission of God to proclaim the truth of his word, to proclaim his goodness, to tell people about Jesus, to love our neighbor. But when we're wrapped up in sin and we're not willing to repent, we get thrown off of mission. And Satan, he loves to distract. He wants to distract us from being on mission. We get busy shoving things into our closet and afraid that if we're found out, or we're so afraid of being found out, that it paralyzes us from living what God has called us to. But repentance is this amazing gift that can bring us back to mission. And this is what I love too. Because when we understand repentance, when we live in the humility that God calls us to in repentance, when we return to mission, it never comes from this place of arrogance. I think when I first read this, I, as I was like meditating on this, it's like it said, then I will teach your ways to the rebels. And you might be going, wow, that seems a little harsh. But there's actually something beautiful in repentance. And Charles Spurgeon, from his commentary on Psalms 51, has a quote that I want to read to you that kind of that summarizes this idea of the, the heart placement of those that come back to Jesus or that repent. It says this, the pardoned sinners matter will be good. Talking about those of us that repent for salvation, but also repentance of coming back to Jesus when we've, when we've slipped up or when we've fallen away. It says, the pardoned sinner's matter will be good, for he has been taught in the school of experience. How many of you know that sometimes the best teacher is the school of hard knocks, right? Because he's been taught in the school of experience, and his manner will be telling this is the response. For he will speak sympathetically as one who has felt what he declares. When we've experienced the love of God, when we've experienced the grace of God, when we've experienced repentance, when we've humbled ourselves and come before, when we speak, we speak from a place of sympathy, of going, hey, I get it. Brother, sister in Christ, somebody else that you don't, don't know Jesus, I get what, it, what the feeling is. I understand. I can sympathize with you because I know what I'm talking about here because I've experienced the love of God. It says, for he will speak sympathetically as one who has felt what he declares. We stand before people and speak of God's love and his forgiveness because we have experienced it. What a beautiful gift. To experience God's love. 
This isn't something that we read about in a book, but we've actually lived it. I hope that you've lived it. I hope that you know the grace of God, that you've experienced that. And then we can go before people and lovingly and sympathetically share the gospel with them because it has transformed our life. We can get back on mission. Or we can get on mission. Repentance is an amazing gift. And the fourth point to the how-to guide to repentance is this. Repeat daily. Repeat daily. There, there, there's this beautiful dance that we see in Scripture. There's this beautiful dance that we see. When I allow God to humble me and I repent... It leads me into this humble walk and intimacy with Jesus Christ. Every single day when I repeat daily, when I'm, when I'm coming before God and going, God, I want to turn from my selfish ways and I want to go to your ways, there's this dance, this beautiful picture of humility and repentance and intimacy that we can have with God because humility and repentance breeds growth in Jesus. It breeds growth. It's a daily recognition that we need God. That we have this desperate need for God. And you know what? It can be easy to sit here and think, okay, but maybe I'll just try harder. Maybe I'll just do a little bit more. Or if I just give the illusion that everything's fine. Or if I just shove things into my closet, then, then it'll be okay. Or we think that, you know what? I don't really need to repent. I'm just going to do better. I'm going to bear down and do better. And we think that that might remedy the sin if my works just outweigh, my good just outweighs my bad. I want you to hear this end, how this psalm ends. This is powerful. Psalm 51, verse 16. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. See, we have to understand the sacrifice was what they would do. They would, it was to atone for their sins, to come before God, to atone for the sins. And what, is, what David is saying here is, you don't desire a sacrifice because if you did, I would just offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice that you desire is a broken spirit. Broken spirit, humility, that which leads us to repentance. That's what God desires. And then there's this beautiful promise. You ready for this? You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. It's amazing. Let me say it again. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. If we come before God, if we come and we humble ourselves and we, we repent of our sins, whatever it might be, big or small or whatever, whatever the perception is, if we come before God and we repent and we're broken before him, it says we will not be rejected. Ever. There are so many places out there. There's so many world religions and so many views that we have to try to do more or make things right or we have to try to play this balancing game. But God, with the God that we worship, the God that we worship says, if you come with a broken and repentant heart, you will not be rejected. What assurance. What peace. What amazing gift that we have because our God is a God of justice and a God of grace and a God of love. That's the God I want to worship. Anybody else with me? That's the God I want to worship. Because I'm never going to be able to be good enough. 
As much as I try, if I try to just do more or bear down and do better, it's not going to be enough. But Jesus made a way. If you come before God with a broken and repentant spirit, you will not be rejected. Then, or look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. How many of our lives, how many of our hearts right now need to be rebuilt by God? Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. There's a nuance here. Oftentimes we think we need to come before God, we need to do these sacrifices, we need to do these things so that he will love us. This passage is saying, no, no, no. We come before God with a broken and repentant heart. A heart that says, God, not my will, but your will be done. I understand that I have fallen away. I understand that I am a sinner. But I come before you and he says, all right, let's do it. That's different. That message is not in other religions. That we can come before God in a broken and repentant way. And then he says, then the sacrifices come. Then our lives will reflect the grace of God. When we come before God, we repent, we're broken. Then he says, okay, let's get back on mission. And then when we go and we love people, he goes, yeah, keep the offerings coming. Keep the sacrifices coming. That's what I want. First, he wants your heart. A broken and repentant heart. Because it will not be rejected. And then he says, okay, it's time to get back on mission. No matter what, whatever your sin is, God promises you that if you come to him and say, I'm turning away from my sin, I'm turning towards Jesus, you will not be rejected. Maybe some of us, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're in here and you've never repented of your sins. You never turned to God, made Jesus the leader of your life. There's no day like today. The Bible says if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that Christ raised, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a matter of the heart. Saying, God, I'm coming before you. Take my life. Take my heart. I'm broken before you. Restore me. Restore your spirit in me. Teach me to obey your ways. If you've never made that choice and you'd like to make that choice, I encourage you to come talk to one of the pastors or talk to somebody, the person that invited you or, or whatever you need to do there. But I also want to encourage you, maybe if you're making that decision for the first time, I encourage you to be baptized. Tonight we're going to the lake from 5 to 8. Maybe today, August 9th, could be the marker of when you say, I'm going public with my faith. I'm not shoving my sins away in the closet anymore. I want to walk in the light. I want to walk in fellowship with God. I want to walk in his spirit. That's what I want my life to be about. It says if you come with a broken and repentant spirit, you will not be rejected. What a gift. We're going to close out this morning with communion. 
and a time of reflection. And I want this time to be a time of reflection and prayer because communion is a reminder that we're, we're in this together, but also God is working individually in our hearts and in our lives. And so I want this to be a time where we reflect on what God has done and what the cross means for us. We might be, need a moment for some of you to identify the sin in your life and ask God, God, would you help me with this? Some of us need to ask God to lead us into obedience and cleanse our hearts. Some of us need to ask God to help us to get back on mission, to return to the mission that he's called us to. And maybe some of you are walking in the light and need to spend a little bit of time praising God and saying, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in my life. Selfishly, I would ask you to pray for our church, for unity, for restoration, for healing that we can move forward on mission of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and not just what we're doing here on Sunday mornings, but that we'd be a church that rises up and we love our city well, that we love the people in our community well so that people can hear about the love of God. So on your way in, you should have gotten one of these cups. And there's the, the wafer in there. But I want to allow you guys to have a little bit of time to reflect on what God has done, what God is calling you to. Maybe God, the Holy Spirit, is working in your life and it's pricking at a couple of those points where he wants to begin to chisel away at some of the things in your life that you've maybe hidden away and he's going, no, we need to identify that. Hey, we need to call that out. That needs to be changed. Not because he's this mean person or whatever, but he's calling us into his image. He's calling us to himself. And so take time here in communion to reflect on that. The worship team is going to be playing some songs and, and spending some time in worship. And as you're reflecting, as you're taking time to pray and, and going to God, whenever you feel ready, I encourage you to just take the, the elements. And I'm not even going to come back up because I want you to just reflect on this and then join in to this time of worship. And so whenever you're ready, you can take the elements and spend time worshiping God and giving praise to Him. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you know us and that you love us. I thank you that you've given us reminders of your love. God, that you have called us into a mission that's greater than our own to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, this is the reminder that you give us to remind us of what you did on the cross, that you were sufficient to care for our sins, to take care of our sins, and your blood covers us. It's what cleanses us. So God, I pray that we would humble ourselves, that we would come before you, we would repent, because repentance is a gift, because it draws us back into intimacy with you, into unity with you. And God, that's what we want. God, I pray for the hearts of everybody watching online, everybody here in this room, everybody, we thank you for those getting baptized, that you're moving in their lives. God, may you be known in this place. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.